Stamp Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lingo Dean, sit down with the co-founders of Clearflame Engine Technologies, Dr. B.J. Johnson and Dr. Julie Bloomrider. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lengo Dean. Finally, our esteemed guests, Dr. B.J. Johnson and Dr. Julie Bloomrider. As CEO, Dr. Johnson's passion and leadership for this work has helped him to secure investors and strategic partners to assist in the development and deployment of the Clearflame technology. As Chief Technology Officer, Dr. Bloomrider is committed to developing and maintaining a clean, sustainable, and equitable future for all people. The duo co-founded Clearflame to develop solutions that increase the performance of and reduce emissions from internal combustion engines using decarbonized fuel within the heavy-duty truck, off-highway, and industrial markets. Without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lengo Dean. Thanks so much, Brandon. And welcome, Dr. Johnson, Dr. Bloomrider. How are y'all doing? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, we're super, super glad to be here. That's awesome. Uh, I can tell you that uh, in the time that we've been doing High Tech Sunday, and it's been uh, a blast for months now, we've had all kinds of tech topics. This one on equitable clean energy is so timely that I was really thrilled uh, that we are having it at this time. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to need you all to help us understand uh, just what it is about this topic, especially clean energy, that you believe is so critically important for us to be embracing and understanding right now. Uh, But I want to really get clear on this idea of equitability. Before we do all of that, though, we got to put you on the spot and just learn about who you are. So can you think about your journey to this point? Who are you? Who is BJ Johnson? Who is Julie Bloomrider? How did you get here? And what has stood out for you along the way? Yeah, uh, for me, so B.J. Johnson, I, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, was was fortunate enough to go to Stanford University in California for my undergrad and graduate work, and really it was kind of late in my high school years, early in my college years, when I really just developed an interest for, for physics as a field, the fact that we can understand with numbers and equations how the actual world works, that always fascinated me, and that was around the same time that climate change, I think, became more and more of a, of a central focus in, in everyone's consciousness. So, you know, the obvious merger of those two things for me at Stanford was, was energy. I was lucky enough to be able to get a thesis project with a professor advisor at Stanford that, you know, played to my interest in energy and making engines cleaner and more efficient. And that's, you know, ultimately what became Clearflame. So, Obviously, a a lot more for me to share there. I want to give Julia a chance to jump into her quick background first. Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, Julia Bloomwriter here. I grew up in Wisconsin, kind of a little bit like 
rural farm country area. Um, and then I did my undergraduate in Baltimore. So I lived there for four years before um, doing a little bit of um, international work, volunteering in Costa Rica for a year, and then finally ended up out at Stanford um, for the master's and PhD. Um, and you know, that same thesis advisor that, that BJ mentioned was also my advisor. And so BJ and I were in the same lab. And one of the things about that lab and that professor that just grabbed me was his approach to thinking about energy in a global sense. And um, he always grounded everything in terms of tying that to quality of life for people. Um, and he was the first person that I had ever heard talk about energy that way. And, and I wanted to, to study and learn from him. Well, great. So thank you for teeing that up. So I, I realized as I was listening to the intro and checking out your uh, bios that I'm surrounded by MECEs today. Uh, I'm a, a double E uh, for my PhD, but undergrad was physics. So we kind of can talk a little bit in the same language. When you were in your formative years, this is a question for both of you. How is it that you landed on mechanical engineering or STEM in the first place? What was it uh, in your childhood, perhaps, uh, that really kind of set you on that path and you knew that, uh, that that was your calling, if you will? What was it that triggered uh, this path for you? Um, for me, I think it was just, you know, taking, it, uh, the first time I, I took physics, I think is what it all goes back to. And, and realizing that, you know, if you, it, it, it sounds silly now, but Something as simple as when you throw a ball, you can actually figure out, you know, based on first principles, where that ball is going to land. And realizing that we had this ability to understand the world in that fundamental way and then use that knowledge to actually solve problems. I, I think that's why I wanted to go into STEM, to be, to be armed with the tools required to solve the world's big problems like energy in a, in a fundamental quantitative way. That, that's what it was for me. And how about you, Julie? Yeah, so I was the kid who like always was stealing my brother's Lego sets and, and things like that. Um, but there were there were no engineers in my family. Um, mm. But I think my mom had just kind of said, oh, you know, you could be an engineer. They also like science and math like you do. Um, and so I almost, you know, sort of naively landed in the engineering profession and it's exactly where I belong. Um, but yeah, it was really kind of just this encouragement from from my parents to just get out there and try something that I think I would enjoy. And, you know, once I arrived, of course, you know, my mind is blown by learning all these physical concepts that govern how the world works. So I was I was sold at that point. You will absolutely get sold uh, when you are exposed to that kind of an environment. On High Tech Sunday, one of the things that has really been uh, such a blessing uh, as we've had the opportunity to speak with so many uh, high-tech uh, practitioners and leaders uh, is the inspiration that they share uh, for what drives them. And, and people speak of uh, their spirituality uh, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different levels. And, and it tends to underlie the passion uh, that they show up with. And, and so can you speak to how your sense of spirituality has informed your passion over the years? Either of you can go first and then the other. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, uh, it was always instilled in me early on and something I, I believe very fundamentally that if, if you have the ability to, to do something about a problem, then that, that is your responsibility to, to help address it. Um, it's, it's sort of a variation over of, you know, with great power comes great responsibility that, you know, I do have the tools that I need, you know, some of them just lucky enough to be born with. Some of them are the result of, you know, the tremendous amount of resources that have been poured into me by my family and my friends and my mentors and, and, you know, the public sector through grant opportunities, you know, that's, that's something that I in, intend to pay back to the world. And, you know, this is a problem climate change that is a, a massive issue to humanity on, on many levels and it's and it's one that the world invested the tools in me to help address and I I am going to pay that back that's my goal I think one of the ways I you know where spirituality kind of intersects with my work is just thinking about you know like the privilege of getting to learn these you know physical laws of a universe that is just so complex and beautiful um, and so you know part of that just I think all, you know, scientific disciplines, um, you know, sort of have that, um, like that, like attraction for me of, of getting to learn something, you know, that's so much larger than me, um, so much more complex than I could probably ever understand, but that it's this privilege to get to engage with it and see what we can learn and then see how we can use, you know, those things that we learn to, um, you know, impact people's lives for the better. So there's sort of the, yeah, sort of like the vast world aspect of it. But then, you know, I grew up um, in the church and that's still an important part of my life. And, you know, it's, it's pretty explicit, um, you know, this idea of loving and serving people. And so kind of finding a way to put those two parts together of, you know, this love for, you know, engineering and physics with this idea of, feeling a purpose to, to, to love and serve, um, you know, everyone around me. Um, I feel like I'm maybe bringing that together now, <laughs> hopefully. That is really, really cool to hear both of you speak. Uh, it, it's, it's clear that there, uh, to me, listening to you, that there's this humility um, that you have uh, about what you get to do and, and how you get to use that uh, for the good of mankind. Uh, and, and so thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, let's get into what we know is your passion. Uh, I want to talk about Clear Flame's mission. But before I do that, I, I, I think that it would be helpful if we just had a quick uh, primer, a 101, if you will, on clean energy. When you speak of clean energy, uh, what what does that mean? How how are you defining that? So I think I define that. Um, you know, there's a couple different um, attributes here. You know, maybe the most obvious one we think about is things like air pollution. Um, so, you know, things like soot or little particulates um, or smog. You know, these are things that um, you know affect the air quality and are, are irritants to human lungs. Um, and so part of being clean is not producing things that are harmful um, to human beings when they breathe it in. Um, and BJ, do you want to take the global level? Oh, I mean, the, the other obvious emission that, you know, everyone always, 
you know, is, is, is top of mind today is, of course, carbon dioxide and, and what it does to, to drive climate change. Um, you know, I think one of the this, this also relates to not just clean energy, but equitable clean energy that we're, we're very focused on. Um, it's because I think we've seen, you know, recently a shift in focus from, you know, those local air quality pollutants like smog and soot to the global climate challenge. And, and don't get me wrong, the climate challenge is not a big deal, or sorry, is, is very much a big deal. Um, but we still haven't solved the problem of urban air quality in you know, places like Oakland or Long Beach or internationally in New Delhi or Shanghai or wherever you might have. And the notion that we've pivoted the entire world to thinking about climate when, for example, in the city of Chicago, black residents have like a nine year lower life expectancy than, than white residents in large part because of the air quality in the regions in, in which they live. Um, you know, those both absolutely have to be solved at the same time. And it's, and it's ClearFlame's mission to show that they can both be solved at the same time. And so I, I appreciate you um, actually pivoting just a little bit because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I found that word equitable uh, to be very provocative. And so I think that you just touched on it, um, uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, when you said that you're thinking about everyone, if I can be that broad, having the access to clean air. Is, is that an oversimplification? No, I, I, I don't think it is at all. And I think um, your choice of the word access was actually key too, because it's not, of course, just access to clean air, which should be a basic human right, but it's also the access to energy that, that comes with it. And as Julie mentioned, you know, this is something our advisor instilled in us very early on how important energy access is for quality of life. And it's another one of these, I think, false dichotomies that exists in the world that we have to be reducing energy use, reducing energy use. Of course we do, but there's also a billion people in the world that don't have basic electricity. And we need to be expanding energy use in a clean and sustainable way to them at the same time we're you know, reducing the energy, the pollutant energy outputs from the more you know, the higher wealth regions of the world. And that's another layer of equitability. It's not just access to clean air, but access to the energy in the first place in a way that's fair for everyone. It's got to do with, to a certain extent, like with agency, um, you know, being able to choose to use, you know, a cleaner option. Um, and, you know, you know, BJ mentioned the impacts on life expectancy from air quality, but I think it's likely that marginalized communities will also bear the brunt of climate change. Um, and so it's very much, you know, it's very much an equitable issue to even address that. Got it. And so um, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because uh, tomorrow is uh, a big day in the United States. Um, as scientists, as STEM lovers, um, we certainly understand that certain topics uh, should not be political, but we also understand that the reality is that they often become politicized. So politics aside, when you think about your mission for Clear Flame, what would you say it is kind of as the headline? What is the idea here? And 
how is it that you believe it is an answer to the challenge that we are speaking about? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the mission, the, the mission of ClearFlame at, you know, the highest level is to prove that we can offer a decarbonized, sustainable solution for, for heavy-duty applications that is not fundamentally changing the way that people get their jobs done, asking them to spend more money on expensive solutions, or, or many of the other things that are going to limit the expansion of of sustainable solutions. At ClearFlame, we can offer all of the sustainability and all of the practicality at the same time. And I don't know if the CTO wants to take the how part of that question, but um, that, that, that is the goal at a high level. Yeah, I mean, I think my like colloquial way to say what BJ just said is like, we don't wanna be like, you know, the rich man's solution to, to climate and clean energy. We wanna be the every man's solution. Um, that that would be widely available in you know a diverse you know set of geographies and economies around the world. Um, the how is really trying to leverage some of the attributes of you know the diesel engine that have made it so successful around the world, um, while also addressing just the very specific aspect that leads to the harmful emissions. So in this case, it's you know taking the diesel fuel out of the diesel engine is one way that we say that. Um, and so we're, you know, sort of unlocking this key to use clean burning, decarbonized fuels, um, but we're still able to keep all that practicality by keeping, you know, the engine still looks and acts like a diesel engine. Um, so, you know, mechanics who, you know, maintain these engines around the world or, um, you know, people who operate this equipment, it'll all continue to be familiar um, and that, infrastructure of kind of like the human knowledge base around, um, you know, these machines that people currently use to improve quality of life, like that can all continue to be leveraged with our solution. And sorry, so, yeah, please go ahead. Oh, sorry, I just wanted to add add one more thing because, you know, you you brought up the politicization of, of the issue and as a CEO here, I think I have to learn to be careful, but um, <laughs> I, I think one of my missions personally also is, is to help fight back against that. Because I, I think inherently, you know, just, just as air quality is not a political issue, I don't, I don't think anyone honestly believes that, um, you know, improved air quality is a, is a bad thing. I think, you know, that, that unfortunately that thinking does exist around climate change, but it's because, you know, there hasn't been a good job. I don't think the scientific community has done a very good job necessarily explaining you know, to the common man um, and woman, what what the actual you know cost to this climate change is, why it does matter, the different ways that we can solve it. Um, I think a lot of people out there, frankly, are afraid that when you talk about climate change, you know, you're asking them to give up their way of life, and that's not what Clearflame is asking them to do. It's not what the world should be asking them to do. And I think it's one of my goals to explain that there's a way. This is a problem. And it can be solved in a way that you don't have to be afraid of it. And I think if we get to that, the politics won't have a leg to stand on anymore. Yeah, even an economic, um, you know, perspective, adopting a solution like ours would save truck drivers money or save the fleet owner money. Um, whereas people always think of paying a premium for any kind of clean energy. So, you know, even arguments around sort of economic productivity or cost of goods 
um, a solution like ours could both be cleaner and also lead to you know, lower cost of delivered goods. And it's not easy to do, but um, you know that was something that we were fairly determined to figure out how to do. I think that those are critically important points that both of you just made. And, and so let me just, um, uh, I guess, hang on that just a little bit more because what you are doing, what you are proposing, what you are presenting uh, is clearly uh, a major disruptor uh, to what is a very big industry. And so how is it that you uh, actually uh, come to terms with the idea that your solution, as you mentioned, uh, really could be a win-win all the way around, but you're still going to have pretty big voices who decry being replaced, if you will. So how do you, how do you deal with the idea that you might be making some people unhappy? I mean, to me, I think the answer to that question is as simple as telling them they don't have to be replaced. They just need to evolve. That the type of technology we provide can be, you know, produced by all of the existing diesel engine manufacturers in the world. And if they work with Clearflame, they're doing exactly what they've been good at for 50 or 100 years producing diesel engines, but one that fundamentally doesn't rely on, on diesel fuel. And um, you know, some people will still absolutely be threatened by that message. Um, but I, I think, you know, Amazon, you know, destroying Sears has, has proved that, you know, you have to be willing to evolve to what the world wants. The world wants sustainability. And there's a way for these traditional comp, uh, companies to use their existing core competency working with Clearflame to do that. And I think that that should be a message that should be very exciting for them, I think. Is there, would you pile on to that or you, did he cover it for you, uh, Julie? Oh, I was just like the, the thought that came to my mind is basically what he said, but I was thinking, you know, the, the entities that will be threatened by us, you know, our approach is to bring them along um, because, you know, they have expertise that we don't have, such as, you know, having known how to make engines that can drive for a million miles before they need to be replaced. Um, you know, all of these amazing aspects of the diesel engine and this large equipment, you know, we don't have to throw out that knowledge base or expertise or supply chain. Um, and so, yeah, we want to bring them right along because it'll only accelerate our progress to have them involved. I love that. And this opportunity for um, collaboration, partnership uh, is absolutely, I think, again, part of the win-win approach. I'm going to hand things over to uh, my co-host, Lang Dean, because there is definitely a, a need, I'm sure, uh, to shore up the talent pipeline uh, in the areas that support clean energy. Uh, and so she's going to lead that part of the conversation and then some. Hey, Lango, how are you? Hi, Dr. Vaughn. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guests, co-founders of Clearflame Engine Technologies, Dr. B.J. Johnson and Dr. Julie Bloomrider. This week's episode is brought to you by the Bayes STEM Conference, 
Now, back to the show. Uh, hi, BJ. Hi, Julie. Um, nice to talk to you again. Um, you know, um, I was just listening to something. I'm not sure whether it was BJ who said it or Julie, that the messaging sometimes on equitable, uh, clean energy is not always clear on so many levels. I'm not sure whether I, I heard you guys right, but um, from that point, I was thinking about uh, uh, the Woodrow Wilson International Center held a very topical um, uh, Zoom call last week, I think it was, and it was the theme was the global digital divide, past, present, and future. And as we were talking, I was thinking of some of the things that were said in that interview and how we can apply to this conversation on energy. So I, I had a look at what the Department of Energy is saying about careers, because at the end of the day, you want to think about all the various levels of jobs that are available in this, in this area, whether people are coming out of two-year community college um, or coming out of a four-year uh, with a four-year university degree or with a master's or with a Ph.D. So we're thinking that spectrum and, and how they can all fit in. And on the Department of Energy page, they sort of tell people that in a clean energy career, you can have things in geothermal, in wind, in water, in solar. They talk about energy-saving homes, buildings and manufacturing, and they talk about sustainable transportation vehicles and, and that sort of thing. And I also think about something you said, um, BJ, a while ago, which is there's no way in the world you would always find someone who can repair a diesel truck anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter whether, uh, you know, it's a dirt track or dirt road somewhere in West Africa or in India or, you know, uh, Japan or Australia in the outback. It doesn't matter. You're going to find someone who knows about the. So what, I think what I'm trying to ask here is how we bring all of those things together in a global message that everyone can understand, regardless of where you are, the jobs and opportunities available in it, and the messaging that you need to put across. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in terms of the vision for the global scale of what we're doing, the removing all of the, the technology from it, you know, when you were describing the different careers you could have with the Department of Energy and and you know geothermal and wind and solar and sustainable transportation you know those are all different ways of achieving in my mind the same underlying goal which is how do you get the the resources you need the energy you need to to live your life the way you deserve to live it and to do your jobs the way you want to do it but fundamentally decoupled from solutions that that harm the environment and don't leave the world the same place for our children that it is for us um, and I think that is something that everyone can relate to, you know, whatever, whatever your life is, whatever you do with it, you know, it is something that uses energy or could be improved with energy. Um, and that we just need to get people to understand that if you want your ch children to have the same ability to live that life or better, we have to make sure we're also protecting the environment around them. And I, and I think that's something people can get behind globally. Mm -hmm. True. Very true. Julie? I think one of the ways I think about, um, you know, energy access and not, you know, making clean tech be this, you know, next wave of, you know, this divide, um, this, you know, sort of growing divide 
is really kind of minimizing, um, you know, the level of retraining or um, user behavior change that would be required to adopt, you know, a cleaner solution. Um, you know, even thinking about, you know, where things can be manufactured, um, where they can be repaired, sourced, um, and then really looking at, you know, as BJ said, people over the entire globe already knows know how to use these pieces of equipment to make their lives better. Um, and to me, that's just such an opportunity to, um, you know, further that and encourage that, and then also add this, you know, component of, you know, agency over getting to use a locally sourced fuel instead of a petroleum resource that's imported or getting to, you know, have cleaner air because they're choosing to use these cleaner fuels in something like, like a clear flame enabled engine. Um, and so I think it's really just sort of trying to offer, um, offer the opportunity for what people already want um, and make that available, um, you know, wherever people are. Thank you. Um, when we look at agency, I mean, you guys talked right at the beginning, you talked about how you got into your field. And I think I remember you saying, Julie, that I think you had a conversation with your mom about engineering because there were no engineers in your family. And I think your mom kind of suggested, you know, you could be an engineer. Incidentally, we have um, one of our award winners that, uh, who works for Ford, and it was her mom who <laughs> talked to her about being an engineer. And she's been a, a Ford engineer now for 25-something years. So, um, but, but coming back to uh, our conversation today, what educational pathways can young people focus on in terms of getting agency to, to take up positions in um, careers that the energy field, which is so broad, offers? What, what do they need to do now to give themselves that agency that they will need 10 years, 15 years down the line? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one's as, as simple as the STEM fields. Um, you know, all, that fundamentally, the energy question, just being an engineer as a whole, is, is based on the, the fundamental, you know, science, technology, mathematics fields. And I think getting that expertise is, is one of the biggest issues we have in the talent pipeline today. Um, you know, it's, it's, you can't you can't get a job at Ford after you know spending your whole life not doing any sort of STEM stuff. It's something you have to you know take on you know in middle school and high school. Um, and I think we need more people realizing that you know that choice is is absolutely open to you. It is a set of tools that is completely universal all around the world. Um, it's one of the the beauties of of mathematics. Um, and I think developing that skill set is what unlocks all these potential pathways. And I would just encourage all the young people out there. Um, it's, it's not for everyone. If you don't like it, that's fine. But there's also nothing to be afraid of. And if that is your passion, then you should pursue it, regardless of whether you know, you're like Julie and, and no one in your family had done it before or um, you, know, you look different than the people that are historically in the field. That, that's going to change if more of us just choose to, to pursue that pipeline that is our passion to do the careers that we want. Absolutely. Julie, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I think um, I, I think I didn't really start getting involved in STEM until college. Um, like there weren't really the opportunities at my middle school or high school for that necessarily. Um, so I would, I would A, say it's never too late um, to follow something that you're passionate about. But then I would also say um, in addition to 
getting into the field. Um, one of the things I've found being here is that, um, you know, staying here is also a challenge if you don't look like the people around you. Um, and so also supporting, um, you know, your fellow students and then, you know, in the future, your fellow colleagues, um, because it, it can, you know, sort of continue to be challenging, um, like as you, as you advance, but I think, you know, getting in and not letting anyone tell you that you don't belong ever. You belong. I, I want to actually clarify one more thing because, um, you know, Julie mentioned that, you know, STEM opportunities vary a lot from, you know, place to place and she didn't have them in, until college. Like certainly there are some really cool STEM opportunities out there like, you know, robotics clubs and space camp, which was the dream for anyone my age watching Nickelodeon when they were younger. But, um, you know, those, those are the types of things that not everyone has access to. But I, I think I'm speaking at an even more fundamental level, you know, math. Everyone has the opportunity to, to take math as a subject seriously, and that is going to pay dividends later. And it is not something that you have to wait for until college, uh, nor, nor should you, by the way. So I think it's, you know, there, there is not access to the types of, you know, really flashy, fun things that you can do just in STEM early on. It will come later if you build those fundamentals early on. And I think that's something everyone can do. That's wonderful. And uh, it also speaks to, because we've had a lot of people on the show who work within anchor institutions, uh, like uh, historically black colleges, other minority serving institutions. Hispanic-serving institutions, and, and these really go beyond the gates of their campuses and invite the communities in with all kinds of STEM programs. So you, you have those as well that, you know, kids can tap into. But going back to Julie's point about diversity, uh, she kind of skated on it a little bit, and I know this is an area that can be particularly challenging for young women and for young girls and, and, and women. Um, I just wanted to hear a little more on the importance of diversity from her standpoint and also from your standpoint, BJ, because here we have a unique collaboration. We have mixed race American man and a Caucasian woman, and, and that's a pretty unique collaboration in terms of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I think diversity in STEM fields is so important because STEM and you know engineering and technology in general is beginning to impact more and more like, the lives of every person. Um, and so every person should be able to have a say in what that technology ends up looking like. You know, half the world are women. Um, and so it would be great if half of the people creating this technology that is shaping our world were also women so that that could be reflected and best serve you know, the global population. That's wonderful. Well, my final question before I turn it back to Dr. Vaughn is, what words of advice and encouragement would you give to young people who would like to join the, uh, the energy mission, the equitable energy mission, the clean, equitable, clean energy mission? What advice would you, do you have for them? I would steal the Nike slogan and just say, just do it. Um, that you, you, you have, you have the power, um, that, you know, there's, it's the reason that, you know, the world in at the upper levels of STEM looks the way it does is again, that I think it's not enough people are, 
are realizing that opportunity exists. And, it, and it's hard. It's hard to go into a field where people don't look like you, whether it's because of your gender or your race or whatever. Um, but I think there's also a lot of people out there that see the value of diversity. I think people realize that if you truly want to find the best ideas in the world, then the people who come up with those ideas are going to look like the world, not just some, seg some segment of it. And that a diverse team has, has been shown, you know, through studies over and over and over to, to have more successful outcomes. I think, I think the world appreciates the merits of diversity. I think we need to look at our diverse backgrounds as a strength and then use that as the motivation to say like, hey, you know, maybe I don't, I look a little different getting started, but I'm going to be the pioneer that changes the way this field works. And as a result, makes the field more effective at, at the change it's trying to drive. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, Julie, do you have anything else you would like to say? Yeah, I, th I really like what BJ said about, you know, seeing your, your differences as a strength. You know, it's, it's easy to assume if you're the only one in a room who has some attribute that that's bad. Um, like, I think that's just kind of like a natural way our brains work. But, um, you know, realizing that that's such um, a gift to bring to the field that you're able to bring that to that room um, and no one else is. And really just reminding yourself of that all the time. I think one other thing I would say in general to you know young people or you know people pursuing a, any kind of STEM um, opportunities is just keep going after um, you know things that you're passionate about, even if it doesn't seem like they'll all make sense in some perfect linear career progression. Um, you know, some of the most interesting and successful people have these really sort of random nonlinear career paths, but they were always chasing something they were passionate about, and that always then yielded fruit in later jobs that they would have. Um, and so I think, I, I don't want people to feel like they have to get it perfect to be successful. Um, you know, that's not at all how this works. Um, but if you keep working hard, and keep going after things you're passionate about, then you'll be able to, you know, have the kind of impact that you're trying to have. That's wonderful. So just keep focus on your passion. Doesn't have to be perfect right away. Doesn't have to be perfect for you to be successful at the other end. Just keep focused on your passion. Thank you so very much. Um, I'm going to turn it back now to Dr. Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn. Hey, Lango. Thanks so much. And uh, Dr. Johnson, Dr. Uh, Boomrider, very riveting conversation because my role actually my day job is focused on technical talent pipelining and support for uh, STEM careers and so the insights that you shared are, are just really really helpful uh, and so really appreciate you giving those words of encouragement and insight to young people. As we kind of shift into our final segment uh, we, we often have some fun uh, with our guests. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, but before we go there, I uh, wanted to let you all know that you're kind of making history on High Tech Sunday. Uh, you're the first two guests that we've had kind of tag teaming together. So uh, you're part of the history now. And thinking about that connection uh, that you two have, BJ has referenced uh, you know, I'll defer to the CTO. And then he said, I've, I, I got to put my CEO hat on. So what would you say as you all have 
kind of given birth to Clear Flame are the strengths that you all have brought to the table that allow you to do what you do in a way that sounds like you're, you're kind of in a groove. Uh, well, this has come up a little bit more, um, you know, recently we've, um, I think, gotten more into paying attention to like the different sort of personality attributes or, you know, natural strengths um, as we try and build out our team and grow our team and look at hiring people who really, um, you know, can contribute in areas that we're weak. Um, but I think, you know, BJ and I even, the two of us have, have pretty different personalities. Um, you know, he's much more analytical and, and very like structured and I'm much more, you know, creative. Like if time didn't exist, I would have, a, I'd be so happy. <laughs> um, and so I think in, you know, in some ways, sort of the, you know, I can kind of roll with it when things change really quickly in a startup environment and he's always quick to come up with the next solution. Um, and so there's, a lot of really complementary um, areas that end up kind of shining at different stages of, you know, an early company's journey. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a good way to put it. The, the most important thing to leading a company is just realizing what you're not good at and appreciating that there are people out there in the world that probably love doing the things you're not good at, and that's no more nor less valuable than what you're doing. And 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 just be self-aware enough to know, you know, what you're what you're good at, um, I, I think is, it's something you, you learn with time. And it's something I think has been a, a growing thing for Julie and I, as it was started with just the two of us. And it was everything clear from had to do was divided between, you know, me or her. And, and now it's um, still only six people, but we're getting there and learning to add to the team in a way that that complements what we already have. I think it's so important, again, uh, what you said about not only knowing what you are good at, but even equally importantly, knowing what you're not good at and then uh, how it is that you form a team that actually can serve your weaknesses, if you will, uh, so that if you have it all together, uh, the, the strengths that everyone has uh, is actually what causes the team to be great uh, as opposed to uh, just looking for people who are exactly like you, and then you don't have all of the bases covered. Um, I want to go back uh, and just ask a question about your backgrounds again. Uh, again, like I said, uh, you all are mechanical engineers on overdrive today. When you think about that particular discipline compared to chemical engineering or electrical or materials, science engineering, what is it about the lab that you found yourselves in at Stanford uh, that really did kind of uh, spark not only the entrepreneurial bent, but it just lit a fire for you um, in terms of your background in mechanical engineering? It sounded like it was a pretty cool lab, uh, but what is it about mechanical engineering in particular that lends itself uh, to this path that you're on now? Um, I, I guess two separate answers to that. You know, one, the, what about the lab in particular? I mean, we were lucky to have some, you know, good people who's, in whose footsteps we were following. Um, you know, there was a group of students 
five, six years older than us that had also started a company, uh, Adagen, now Mainspring, out, out of the same lab. Um, so we had kind of that template to follow in a lot of ways. Um, I think in terms of what delivered the passion for me is, uh, and it's, I think it's a mechanical engineering thing as a whole, just being very focused on the fundamentals and um, looking at the way the world was talking about more narrowly in our case, combustion engines, just how much bad information there was. I mean, go to the Wikipedia page on internal combustion engines. I can tell you that's at least 20% wrong. Um, you know, that people who were capable of, 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 of realizing that a certain degree of expertise in that skill set was critical to solving the problem, I think made me even more motivated to develop the skill set and then tackle the problem. I'm going to get really philosophical with my answer. Um, so I think about, you know, the world, the world is like, you know, this physical thing and problems we experience, you know, things like climate change or air quality, they're physical problems. Um, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurship right now in areas like software. Um, but hardware is actually, you know, the interface between a technology and, you know, the problem we're trying to solve, which is a physical problem. Um, and, you know, that's exactly where mechanical engineers live. You know, hardware has to exist, you know, to interact with us, to interact with our world. Um, and so I like that that's something that we get to be, you know, tangibly involved in and, you know, see and interact with. Um, and I just find that, you know, extremely exciting because it's sort of, you know, our human level of, you know, how we engage with the world. Yeah, way, way more tangible than those silly electromagnetic fields those double E's deal with. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Rod, I had to. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so, so we're going to go there, huh? Um, <laughs> um, okay, so, so seriously, thank you um, again for, for sharing that. Uh, it's really great insight. Uh, so like I said, uh, we're going to take the last few minutes and, and just be a little lighthearted. But before we do that, um, if people are interested in learning more uh, about equitable clean energy and even about clear flame, um, are, there, are there organizations or, or groups that they uh, could check out? Uh, you've already said Wikipedia might not be the one to start with. Um, I mean, I, I would encourage everyone to, to follow us directly. Uh, you know, our website's clearflameengines.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter, at clearflameeng, E-N-G. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're getting better about using those platforms to kind of uh, disseminate our thought leadership that we're trying to build around these issues. So I, I, I'd say that's a great place to start. I don't know if Julie would add anything. Yeah, I think, like, now is also just an exciting time where because the – you know, issue of climate and air quality is coming to the forefront of people's consciousness. Um, you know, there are, you know, more and more podcasts, there are more and more, you know, blogs or people distilling a lot of this type of, um, you know, what are the latest advancements? What are the real sticking points for, you know, things to be adopted? Um, a lot of that is, you know, beginning to be more and more, um, I guess, like packaged in a way that we can, you know, sort of easily understand it or, you know, listen while you're driving. Um, and so I, I find that to be a pretty exciting that this type of information is becoming more accessible than ever. Great. Thank you for sharing that uh, reference and insight. Uh, so, so let's have a little fun. Um, BJ, earlier in the conversation, 
uh, you referenced a quote from Spider-Man about power and responsibility. Um, I would ask you what your superpower is, uh, but I think we've already found out. Uh, so my question for you is, who is the superhero uh, that you kind of envision yourself most being like? Okay. Um, got pot, got put on the spot going first. I mean, I, this is not this is not a superhero, but I can tell you, my favorite fictional character is Han Solo from Star Wars. Okay. Um, the kind of uh, renegade, um, you know, get get things done, um, you know, don't care what people think type attitude. Um, I've I've always loved. If it was, ooh, a superhero. Aquaman. <laughs> I knew Julie was going to go for Aquaman. I used, I used to be a competitive swimmer, but um, I, can, I can tell you that water is way more my kryptonite than my uh, actual superhero <laughs> superpower. So anyway, I'll think about, let me think about that a little more. Okay. Uh, uh, so, well, Julie, uh, if it's not Aquaman, uh, who would it be for you? Um, it's hard to separate, like, the you know alter ego from the the, the superhero um, I find Iron Man to be pretty compelling because his superpower is really just being an amazing engineer um, I also just that's a good answer I also just really like Wonder Woman because <laughs> she just she kicks butt and her little like arm cross thing to like deflect um, like I don't know, whenever, you know, people, you know, come at me with stuff, I just want to be like, nope, I'm blocking that with my little Wonder Woman wristbands. You don't get to, you don't get to say that stuff to me. Yeah, you should totally be Wonder Woman. Then I can be Iron Man and we'll even have the whole DC Marvel thing covered. <laughs> Perfect. I love those answers. And uh, again, I think that you both demonstrated, like I said, that uh, you actually do have uh, some pretty cool superpowers in STEM uh, and your leadership and, and the entrepreneurial inspiration that, that you've talked to us about uh, is really, really timely. Like I said, uh, it's a critically important conversation and we are very fortunate that you were able to take the time to join us today. As we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I, I would throw out there, um, you know, we, we got an election tomorrow. This is obviously going to be air and after that, but just even more broadly in terms of, of getting a diversity of voices out there, um, stand up, be counted, be heard. Um, you know, don't be afraid to let your opinion know there are known. There are people out there that want to, that want to hear it. Um, and at the same time, don't be afraid to hold, hold other people accountable. I mean, the world's, got some serious problems today and it's and it's that way because we've we've made it that way um and we we shouldn't stand for it anymore and the only thing that's going to make the world become a better place is if more people are willing to say hey we expect something more for from, from our species and um you know don't don't be afraid to, to voice that uh, i think i would you know just encourage you know anyone in a stem field um you know like just always remind yourself you belong, you can do this, you know, and, and any kind of difference that you bring to a room 
is actually a gift that you're bringing into that uh, into that room or into that field. And I, I would also say, you know, you can reach out to me or BJ. Um, you know, BJ mentioned all the people that have poured into us or mentored us or, you know, grants and things like that that have benefited us. And so we we both absolutely want to pay that back by, you know, passing on whatever help that we can to the people who come after us. Pay it forward. Yeah. Absolutely. That is the perfect note to end on. Dr. BJ Johnson, Dr. Julie Blumreiter, it has been a pleasure having you with us on this edition of High Tech Sunday. And we look forward to hearing more about what you are doing as you disrupt in order for there to be equitable, clean energy. We believe it's a solution like you do, whose time has come. I'm gonna hand it back over to Brandon Newby to send us off. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students. And this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify please join us next time.